0: Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Always excited to have a third time appearance on the show. Ryan Craig is going to earn his Trending in Ed refrigerator magnet. Ryan is the managing director of Achieve Partners, and he's the author of the new book, Apprentice Nation. We'll get into all that in a bit, but before we do any of that, Ryan, welcome back to Trending in Education.
1: Wow, I can't tell you what an honor it is to be a third-time guest. Uh, Yeah, What what a delight. Good to see you again.
0: Good to see you, too. And your book is hot off the presses. It's a really interesting read or listen, as I happen to be a bit of an audiophile, so I did listen to your book. A lot in there, a lot of stuff that makes it engaging. There's some interesting stories and pop culture references, which is part of what really captures my imagination as a reader or a listener. But can you catch folks up? We'll include links to your previous appearances. So maybe we could do like a short version of who you are and how you got to this point in your career.
1: Yeah, super. So I run Achieve Partners, uh, which is a private equity fund in the education and workforce sector. We have two strategies. One is an ed tech strategy. So we buy and grow ed tech companies that sell into higher ed and and K-12. And then uh, we have a workforce strategy where what we do is we look for sectors of the economy where there's a talent gap and we look for companies that could become platforms for solving that problem Mm -hmm. and we acquire them and essentially build large apprenticeship programs so they can become engines for new talent in their sectors like software development, data analytics, cybersecurity, Salesforce, Workday, Mm -hmm. healthcare IT, a range of healthcare services fields. So we're actually, you know, I'm not just writing about the problem. I'm, you know, we're actually solving the problem, and some of the examples in the book are actually taken from our portfolio, yeah, companies.
0: Yeah, and it's it's a it's a fun read, a fun listen, and it it is interesting. Also, your evolution over time, where there was more of a focus on higher ed as perhaps the pathway, and now this book, which is Apprentice Nation, spoiler alert, the punchline here, the big finish is that apprentices and apprenticeship is a model that needs to be more fully adopted here in the U.S. I was surprised how under-resourced apprenticeships are in the U.S. That's almost like a a dirty little secret, uh, almost the flip side of the level to which we're over-supporting our current higher ed model. I learned that very much through your stuff here, but can you spell that out a little more for our listeners?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, if you think about apprenticeship, you probably think about the construction trades, welders and electricians and Mm. folks who, you know, come and build and repair your house. And that's about right. We have about half a million apprentices in the country, and that represents 0.3% of our workforce. Mm. But other, pretty much every other developed country is doing much better than we are. You won't be surprised to hear that Germany, Austria, Switzerland, do 15 times better. So instead of 0.3% of the workforce, it's three to four and a half percent of the workforce mm-hmm. in those countries. But Canada, Australia, the UK, France are all doing five to 10 times better than we are. Yeah. And a generation ago, that wasn't the case. A generation ago, those countries' apprenticeship was small and mostly in the construction trades, as it is today, but 70% of the US apprentices today are in the building or construction Yeah. trades. And so really the, the animating question for the book is why, (laughs) why, why are they doing so much better than we are and why is it important?
0: Right. And it was interesting going all the way back to the roots of our country where apprenticeship was very baked into the society that our founders lived in. Many of them, you know, Washington apprenticed as a surveyor. Franklin was also an apprentice. That was very much part of our culture. And then it sort of drifted. Can you walk us through what's happened in the u s over the years?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So really, since World War two we focused on college as the pathway to economic opportunity in this country, and college for all worked for a while. It worked until tuition you know grew to twenty thirty forty fifty sixty thousand dollars a year right and even that would have been okay. If everyone was graduating into a, you know, $60,000 a year plus job. Right. Uh, but first of all, 40 to 50% of those who matriculate into a degree program don't complete. Mm-hmm. And of those who complete, about 40% mm-hmm. who complete are graduating into underemployment, which means that only a distinct minority of those who make the decision to enroll in a college or university is actually achieving a a positive uh, outcome, mm-hmm. uh, at least a, a immediately, right. um, which when you have student loan debt, immediately mm-hmm. matters you have loans to repay. So that's really the challenge uh, that, that, that we're seeing. And add to that the fact that what's really behind a lot of that underemployment is the digital transformation of the economy right. that colleges you know, have kept up with in a sense. I mean, there's a lot that happens in colleges that is digital. But if you look at the curriculum and the programs of study, they're largely unchanged from where they were a generation or even two generations ago. And students aren't getting any coursework or experience on the specific digital skills or platforms that employers are increasingly looking for. Yeah. So, and then in addition to that skills gap, we're seeing a growing experience gap where employers are asking in jobs that used to be entry-level jobs for college graduates, they're asking for three, six, 12 months plus work experience, either explicitly in the job description or implicitly. And, you know, I think AI is likely to turn that experience gap that we're already seeing into something of a chasm, right? right? You think about your first, you know, good job where the bargain was you do quite a lot of grunt work or medial work you kind of learn the ropes. AI Mm -hmm. is going to eliminate much of that grunt work or medial work so that employers are going to expect you to be able to do higher value work from the get-go. And Mm -hmm. they're going to require experience do that. I, I look at cybersecurity As sort of the paradigmatic example, a decade ago, a college graduate with some technical chops could get a job, is a tier one analyst in a security operations center. First row of defense, looking at alerts coming in, deciding which you can resolve yourself, which you need to elevate or escalate, and which you can disregard. Today, those tier one jobs are largely gone. The entry-level jobs in security operations center, thanks to automation and digital transformation Mm -hmm. are what used to be called the tier two jobs, where they demand a CISSP certification, which is explicitly three to five years worth of experience. So the entry-level in cybersecurity has become something of an oxymoron. And what automation and digital transformation has done, To entry level jobs in cyber, I'm afraid generative AI is going to do to entry level jobs across the economy. And so, you know, if there's one thing that your listeners take away from this, it's that given the change and pace of change of technology, colleges and universities, that unless you're a top 20 brand, if you want to continue to attract students, you're going to need to figure out some way to give your students real relevant work experience as part of their program of study. So when they graduate or when they're actually looking for that first good job they have relevant work experience Mm -hmm. and apprenticeship in my mind is the best way to do that because an apprenticeship is a job right where you're hired without needing the specific skills or experience because that's what the apprenticeship delivers to you so it's really another way of saying pathway we need millions more pathways for young people right right apprenticeship is not the only way to solve that problem you can imagine a world where every college Looks like a Northeastern or a Drexel with right. a formal co-op program where every mm-hmm. student gets, you know, multiple in-field paid internships. Yeah. you can imagine a world where every school is a big user of a work-integrated learning platform like Ripen, where faculty members are selecting real work experiences and real work projects from right. real employers and integrating them as capstone experiences in their courses. But it's still not as good as apprenticeship. I've seen lots of entry-level job descriptions that ask for experience and say internships don't count. So, you know, I'm not defending employers. To paraphrase Donald Rumsfeld, we send our children into the labor market we have, not the one we might, you know, wish for. Yeah. And then if, if you look at sort of where we are as a nation in terms of investment, as you highlighted at the top, yeah, investment in earn and learn versus investment in, you know, tuition based or what you might pejoratively call debt based. Career launch infrastructure. Right. Pretty much every other developed country is an order of magnitude or two higher on their investment mm-hmm. in earn and learn than we are. So we've really gone all in. And I, and I think that's part of the problem is there hasn't been a clear alternative. My last book, A New You, Faster and Cheaper Alternatives uh, to College, was kind of five years ago, a guided tour of this new emerging last mile training landscape of boot camps and income yeah. share programs and so forth. And I just touched briefly on apprenticeship. But I've come to the conclusion that apprenticeship is really the, uh, the, the best way to solve this problem because it's the only pathway that truly levels the playing field for everyone and for the students we should most care about, underrepresented, low-income, first-generation, English as a second language, students, because an apprenticeship is unlike every other pathway or training program. It's a job. Right. It's a job that pays a living wage. And so there's no one who can't access an apprenticeship. An apprenticeship is, is the job you want and it doesn't end. Right. right, that's another big difference between apprenticeship and internship. An internship is a, a temporary a work experience you'll pursue during your program of study, and then you'll go back and you'll finish your degree or program. Right. An apprenticeship is a job that you'll start and you may never end because you just complete your apprenticeship and you just become a regular old employee. Yeah. Of the of the company.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of you know Thomas Kuhn's Structure of Scientific Revolutions, the whole mm-hmm. paradigm shift. Yeah. Paradigm, it does seem- yeah. It does seem like you're arguing for a paradigm shift, but that's also why there's so much perhaps resistance where a lot of the existing structures and paradigms that are out there are resistant to change. I, I'd be curious how you see this playing forward. Like, is it a incremental thing, or do you think there is some foundational shift, perhaps driven by some of the job dynamics and future of work stuff that you're touching on? It does feel like We can goof around a little bit until stuff gets real. And it does feel like we're about to hit some really challenging labor dynamics, demographic dynamics. Can you map a little bit of that out for us?
1: Yeah, look, I think there are a number of paradigms that are in flux here. One is the notion of digital transformation and higher education, where, you know, a decade or two ago, you might say, you know, the Internet's going to change everything about higher education. And, you know, we saw how much it it did or didn't change it during COVID when we went to Zoom school. Right. And then it bounced right back to looking, you know, very much like it looked 10 or 20 years ago. And, you know, my answer is, uh, yeah, digital transformation is going to fundamentally transform post-secondary education in this country, but only in an indirect way, which is to say, going to transform the jobs. That, you know, graduates are looking to attain by so doing transform, you know, their students' preferences and uh, sort of the risk return calculus as they think about enrolling in, you know, risky programs in terms of costs and in terms of employment outcomes. Right, right. So that's one paradigm shift. Another paradigm shift is that, you know, we have this paradigm of high school to college to work. And increasingly, like up until a year or two ago, we were at the lowest, you know, younger worker employment rate ever in this in this country because of the college for all mentality. High school students been told, you know, paid work doesn't matter. You know, don't take the job as a you know a busboy in a restaurant. Do that two week volunteer experience. Try to save the Costa Rican rainforest so you can write about it on your college yeah. admissions essay. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we have this paradigm that you really don't, you know, need to worry about paid work until you're about to graduate from college.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe not even then, because you'll go go get a master's degree. Right. But I think part of the problem is that, you know, high school graduates are confronted with this, you know, terrible choice for many, many young people, which is uh, college or Chipotle. Right. right? Do you want to, do you want to go to college? And if you don't want to go to college, you'll work Chipotle. Right. Which is not quite accurate because something like 40% of. You know, Gen Z think that they can make a career as a social media influencer sure. or playing esports. But if yeah. you take 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 those out, that yeah. is really college or Chipotle, which is you know a a choice that well, the college choice is risky, and the Chipotle choice seems like it's a you know kind of a, a road to nowhere. Right. So we're envisioning a world where we have as many uh, apprentice jobs as there are places in freshman classes. Uh, across the country and apprentice jobs across the economy, no matter what you're interested in doing, there are apprenticeships uh, available. And what I'm saying is not that those apprentices won't go to college or won't have any post-secondary education. What I'm suggesting is that we can restage how we consume post-secondary education, because I think a lot of the challenges we have around completion and employment outcomes really stem from the fact that we have this thing that I call it information asymmetry, which is to say, you know, you enroll in University of X. University of X has seen a hundred students like you <laughs> over the years and either knows or should know whether you're likely to be successful in your intended program of study. But you have no earthly idea whether you're likely, you know, you hope for the best, but we know that particularly for those students we should care most about, that many of them don't succeed, and yet University of X continues to take your money, you take on that debt to pay the tuition and room and board and fees, and it's not working, so we need more of a fair information fight, yeah. and one way to do that is disclosure, which is kind of where the Biden administration is heading, so you know a year from now, if you want to enroll in george Washington university's master's degree program, you may have to sign a waiver saying. You know, you've been presented the numbers. You recognize they don't pencil out, but you're enrolling anyway. So that's one way to do it. I think a better way to do it is to provide millions of, you know, good job options for young Americans. Those could be apprenticeships or those could be something along the lines of what, you know, Chipotle and other large employers of frontline workers are building today, which is these near apprenticeship or sort of enterprise pathways that we're seeing where it's really, yes, companies like Guild that are building yep. building those where it's no longer just an off the shelf online degree that's you know going to keep you occupied in that you know burrito making job, but it's a it's a skill based pathway, mm-hmm. a combination of discrete skill based modules that can take you from burrito maker to junior data analyst right. in an eighteen month period, and you know it's a program that's connected up with the H R I S, so the hiring manager for those junior data analyst jobs is aware you know, as you're coming through the system and encouraging you to apply for that job. Now, that's not quite an apprenticeship because it's not the same job you have to apply for a new job, but it does represent economic mobility within that enterprise. So if we can do that, if we can create millions of new apprentice jobs and every frontline worker has at least an option for mobility within the enterprise, then I think what we can have is, you know, millions of young people who are you know, heading off to college because there's no other option today, will be able to work for a few years, demonstrate to themselves that they're capable of supporting themselves, get a better sense of their interests and capabilities, and make a much more informed decision in a year or two or three as to what post-secondary institution and program they want to pursue, It'll be more of a fair information fight mm-hmm. in that way. I, you know, I point to master's degrees. You don't hear too much about you know millions of people making bad decisions about master's degrees, and the reason for that is because they're older and they already have bachelor's degrees right and they're more informed they're they're better you know consumers of mm-hmm. post secondary education so I think we would go a long way to solving many of the problems that we're 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 facing in higher ed if we could you know begin to flip that paradigm around or at least provide an option so yeah. it doesn't just have to be high school to college to work it can be high school to work and then to college
0: yeah. Well, and then also the thing that I thought was interesting in the book is that the jobs that are out there require skills and competencies that aren't taught in higher ed either. You know, the example of, you know, Salesforce administration and being able to work in HubSpot or, or doing the types of things that a typical entry level marketer or ops person would just be able to use some of these softwares, at least understand that that's the nature of their job. That was eye opening to me, and that was a place where it it doesn't seem like higher ed is going to respond quickly enough, which is why it does feel like a lot of things are kind of pushing towards an alternative model, pushing us towards something more like apprenticeships.
1: Yeah, I mean, even if they did uh, respond quicker, uh, a lot of the skills are harder to learn in a classroom than they are by doing. Right, right. You can become trained as a you know newly minted you know trailhead Salesforce administrator but not too many companies are going to be excited to hire you if you've never actually worked right. as a Salesforce administrator. And so that's what I mean about you know, making sure that graduating students have some real relevant work experience. The experience gap in many ways is about to overshadow the skills gap as the you know, sort of number one barrier to employment. Yeah. And we know if you're underemployed in your first job, two-thirds of the time you're underemployed five years later, half the time you're underemployed right. a decade later. And that, frankly, is what's driven this whole student loan forgiveness movement over the last decade, Mm -hmm. right? Like, if we didn't have these problems, like I said, if everyone graduated into a, you know, good sixty thousand dollar a year job, right? You know, this administration has been, you know, almost to the to to the exclusion of everything else, focused on student loan forgiveness. That is a function of this broken market, right? uh, We have, we 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 really have. You know, a situation where career launch is, you know, nearly broken in this country, particularly for those, you know, young people we should care most about. And that's right. why, you know, I, when I was doing my, my book tour in the fall, I would often start out of the presentation by putting up a slide of this guy named Oliver Anthony, who's this Virginia singer-songwriter who last summer had this hit song called Rich Men North of Richmond, which basically just talked about how hard it was for young people. The only jobs open and available to me are these crappy dead-end jobs. Right. And I'm, you know, working my butt off, but I can't seem to get ahead. That's really part of the problem, and I think that's really what animates a, a lot of the frustration that we see in the country, both socially and politically. And so, you know, I think an apprentice nation, a world where, you know, apprenticeship is truly an option, not just for, you know, high school grads, but also for college grads, or even for, you know, people older Americans seeking to reenter the, the workforce. Right. Right. Uh, it would be a phenomenal thing. All you need to do is take a job in, you know, whether it be cybersecurity or healthcare, IT or uh, whatever, and you're going to gain those skills or experiences. And, you know, it's it's suddenly this, you know, bright, shining, dynamic digital economy is within reach. It's not, right. you know, something that only Richmond or the Richmond can
0: access. Absolutely. And then the, the other piece that I thought was interesting, you mentioned it earlier, is thinking about artificial intelligence and the future of work, the nature of the stuff that humans are expected to do. Will be changing, and you're working very closely, you know investing in companies that are doing this type of upskilling work. That's the other component to this where you know you're you're very much focused on the intermediaries and sort of how do we sort of build the supporting ecosystem that allows us to affect a little bit of this paradigm shift that we're looking for
1: right, so in terms of how how to build the apprenticeship, you know what I would say is that I've been running around the country speaking about this for the last four months or so. And everyone agrees on the strategy. And it's just a question of the tactics, how we do it. And what we've learned from other countries is, Mm -hmm. this is sort of the, you know, if you take, you know, one thing from this podcast, it's that we need more experience in our work experience in our educational pathways. If you take two things, it's that Mm -hmm. apprenticeships don't build themselves and employers don't just create them because they're, you know, more farsighted or more benevolent. That's not, you know, why they're successful in Germany. That's not why, you know, the building trades have apprenticeship programs here. Apprenticeships work and thrive and grow where there are ecosystems of intermediaries that actually do the work, do the heavy lifting of setting up and building and running these programs. Right. In Germany, it's large chambers of commerce that are actually required to do so by law. So it's not that Volkswagen and you know other German companies are you know, doing it themselves. It's being done by chambers of commerce, largely in partnership with unions for the benefit of employers and the apprentices. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of support from the from the government to do it. The UK and Australia, a generation ago, they recognized they didn't have that infrastructure. And so what they did is they made the funding available and intermediaries basically came to the table. Staffing companies, HR, services businesses, nonprofits got into the game of being apprenticeship service providers because there was funding. Mm-hmm. And every time you hire and train an apprentice, you got paid. Right? Uh, we don't have that at all here. You can register your apprenticeship program. You can hire and train 1,000 uh, apprentices, and there's no funding that flows immediately or automatically or for- formulaically in the U.S. And so we've been doing it wrong. Part of the problem is that from a policy standpoint, we think about apprenticeship like we think about other workforce development or training program so it's in that same bucket it's being funded out of the workforce innovation opportunity act wio which is you know apprenticeship and then a, a big number of uh, <laughs> low performing training programs for low skill workers and no other developed country does that they all view and fund apprenticeship differently because it is different because it's not a training program it's a job first right. and foremost that has training built in and apprenticeship creation is really all about figuring out who's going to employ this unproductive worker for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And the answer in other countries is typically intermediaries are going right. to do that work because they're getting paid to do it. So, you know, we have this growing ecosystem of intermediaries here represented by this new organization, Apprenticeships for America. So groups you've probably heard of like Year Up and Apprenti and Multiverse and Revature and Skillstorm and Optimum and Cloud for Good. These are sort of the new intermediaries that are doing that work, but with a handful of exceptions, there's no public support for them today. So, for example, when Multiverse in the UK tries to sell Barclays on an apprenticeship program, it's totally turnkey for Barclays. All Barclays needs to do is put that Multiverse apprentice on their payroll at the lower apprentice wage. Multiverse basically does the rest. Hmm. And all of the work that Multiverse does is essentially paid for by the government Mm -hmm. here when Multiverse tries to, you know, sell an apprenticeship program to Citibank, they have to, you know, same, same deal, but Multiverse has to charge them $15,000 per apprentice. That's the program fee. Right. So as you might imagine, that's a, a pretty strong inhibitor to apprenticeship growth. And so that's the big difference. I'm convinced that if we can actually begin to, you know, get our funding on par with other developed countries for earn and learn, you know, increase it by an order of magnitude or two. And, you know, like the U.K., for example, at its peak, it was literally 100 times more on a per capita basis for earn and learn than, than we're currently spending. So instead of 400 million, more like 40 billion for apprenticeship, that would get us to where we need to go.
0: And in the successful examples, whether it's Germany or Austria or Australia, U.K., are they similarly investing in higher ed, or is this a bit of a zero-sum game where you know you draw down a little bit of the over-subsidizing of higher ed to allow more funding to flow to apprenticeships? How does that typically shape? I think it should flow out? with
1: the student. I mean, I think it should flow with the individual, right? I mean, we basically have formula funding for higher ed today in yep. the form of uh, federal student aid. So let the students decide, right? If the student would prefer to you know pursue an earn and learn pathway, yep. we should fund it.
0: Right. And is there any language leadership stuff here? Does this, is it just that apprenticeship doesn't hit with the TikToks and the, the Switch kids nowadays playing? No, their, it, 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 that
1: know? that I think is, a, is not right. It's like, you know, people who think that the problem is somehow that apprenticeship doesn't appeal to young people. We know when we launch an apprenticeship program in cybersecurity or work day, we have hundreds and hundreds of applicants for every open seat. So you're, you're basically telling someone, we're going to give you a pathway to a six figure job in four or five years. And we're not asking for skills or experience off the bat. We're asking for potential. We're asking for, you know, interest level. We're often asking for diversity. Yeah. Um, Then you uh, get paid while you do it. And you basically, it's in in terms of seat time, it's like the equivalent of a master's degree that we're paying you for as opposed to you paying us. So as you might imagine, it's a lot of interest. In that, so look. Make no mistake, there are apprenticeships in the trades where you know those programs have trouble filling their seats. But I've never seen a case of a you know, new collar or white collar apprenticeship program struggle to find a talent apprentices. Right. They're always extremely selective. Right. So right. it's it, in my mind, this is a very simple question. It's how do we build that infrastructure of apprenticeship programs and apprentice jobs, so that we can go from. Half a million to two million to five million over the next decade and have as many options for young people. So you can imagine a world where a high school senior is sitting with her guidance counselor, looking at the dozen different university programs that she might be interested in and looking at an equal number of earn and learn pathways that she might pursue. And what's interesting is there's a place where that's happening today, and that's the UK, where last fall for the first time, UCAS which is effectively the common app of the UK, began listing apprenticeship programs alongside all the university programs so that you really could sort of compare side by side.
0: Yeah. And maybe that's the information symmetry and transparency that you're really advocating for. It does feel like what I encounter when I'm talking about the skills gap or now the experience gap is that there is the training element, but it's more of an awareness problem to begin with where folks just don't understand that there's needs, there's jobs that can be filled, and then really what the pathway is into those jobs. All this is covered in depth in addition to references to real genius, men synchronized swimming, and uh, an ill-fated dirigible accident in Hell's Kitchen. It's all outlined in Ryan's new book, Apprentice Nation. We're getting close to time, Ryan. It's it's always fun to have you on, and congrats on the, the refrigerator magnet. But as we're wrapping up here, is there anything we didn't get to? Anything you want to make sure our listeners are thinking about or are aware of as they head back to the rest of their lives?
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, look, there's a lot of people who are focused on trying to make this happen. For example, the Department of Labor last month just came up with 800 pages of new rules and regulations that would make it much harder to launch an apprenticeship program. So it's kind of two steps forward, one step back. But I think the direction of travel is clear. And as I said, as I've been traveling around the country, Pretty much everyone agrees, except for maybe some faculty members i've been, right. I've spoken to who are you know either graduated in a, in a different era, a different economy or never had to worry about you know making money or launching their their careers right. so you know i'm I'm convinced this is right and it's going to happen. There's a lot of folks in d c and elected officials who were excited yeah. about this, yeah. so if the bureaucrats can get out of the way, we can make an apprentice nation a reality.
0: Good stuff here with Ryan Craig, the managing director of Achieve Partners. He's also the author of Apprentice Nation. And the newsletter is gap Letter, the Is gap, that correct?
1: Gapletter, yeah. Gapletter.com. Yeah.
0: yeah, every two weeks. So if you you know, we didn't even get as much of the funny Ryan on today's episode, but I promise he he's in there.
1: If this is on video, you can see I'm funny looking, but uh...
0: <laughs> but thanks so much for for joining us on today's show.
1: Great. Good to see you, Michael.
0: And for our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed what you heard. If you did, please subscribe, write us a review, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.